Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, hello, everybody. Good seeing you. Good to get to be with you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's good to see everybody. Uh, we've got a bunch of people here at North Point, and I'm so grateful to get to be here myself. We've got a bunch of people at Brownsbridge today. So good to see all of you. We've got loads of friends and family at Brownsbridge, and then Gwinnett Church with us today at Hamilton Mill and at Sugar Hill, which is great. A lot of people watch online, a lot of our other partner churches. My name's Clay and I uh, am really excited to get to be here today with you. Um, I got the opportunity to serve at North Point for uh, about four years, and then about four years before that as the high school pastor, and got the opportunity to serve at Brownsbridge for a number of years as well. And it's just uh, getting to be together reminds me of how great it is to get to be in the same place, in the same space. And so I know we got a bunch of people watching with us online today as well, but I um, just want to say hello to you all. Uh, my wife is here with me today, which is so great. Um, she doesn't always want to hear me preach. And so when she does, I, and I mean that just sometimes she gets tired of it, you know, and I get it. I'm like, as many services as we sometimes do, you know, she's like, hey, I'm just going to do the one. Is that okay? Um, I'm like, that's more than enough. So our 12-year-old daughter, Lucy, is here. She's going into seventh grade. Uh, and so I'm just grateful that they're here as well. So um, this is a bit of a, it's an odd message for me. Um, I uh, typically like to, you know, the way messages work, you want to share something personal up front. You want to try to uh, make people smile, help people uncross their arms. And then you want to get into what, what the Bible says, what the authors of the Bible have said about Jesus. And we're going to do that in just a little bit. But um, Andy asked me, which I felt so grateful, asked me if I would come and do this um, as a message. And I was just grateful to get the amount of time to be able to process this because we've been uh, trying to figure out what life what, 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 what are we supposed to be doing with our lives over the past couple of months? As so many people in the world have, this is a real season where everybody's kind of wondering, like, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Am I in the right job, living in the right spot, hanging out with the right people, all that stuff. And so if you're in a season of questioning um, or maybe just in a season of just wondering, I hope this message will be for you. I've titled it, Keeping Your Soul Sane in seasons of change, keeping your soul sane in seasons of change. I'll tell you more about it in just a little bit. But um, first, the, the more personal part, uh, I started attending church here in 1998, a uh, long time ago. So that's like, what is that, 23, 24 years ago almost now. I was a student. Um, I was enrolled at Georgia Institute of Technology. I say enrolled because I, I, um, I wasn't always in class, okay? I'm going to be just straight up with you. And one of the reasons why was because it was really hard and I wasn't great at it. So there was that. Um, and those might go hand in hand. You know, it might have been easier if I'd have gone to class. That's what my parents would tell me probably. But um, the, so, so was my college experience. And I, but the, the best thing that happened to me while I was in college is I started getting involved with this church. And I did everything. I mean, I was all in. As soon as I found it, I was just so impacted by it, so in love with just what God was doing through this church, but also in me. And I was a Bible storyteller. Uh, with kids and Upstreet. I was a small group leader with our high school ministry called Inside Out. Uh, I, I was even, uh, we had a college ministry at the time that we were trying to do this, um, we were trying to do like a sitcom, which 
I don't know, looking back on it, uh, it seems a little odd and unusual, and at the time it probably was as well. It didn't last that long, maybe like a year or so, but I was one of the actors in the sitcom. Um, I, I was, I'm telling you, I was all in. I was just doing anything I could do to help serve and just loving our church. Um, Andy obviously had a profound impact on me, mostly indirectly, just like you, just sitting in, in the seat, or in my case, I would sit on the floor because there were so many people here. And I remember I had this distinct prayer uh, when I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life. God, that's the kind of person that I wanna work for. Um, just the character that he just constantly exhibited and just the communication, obviously, but also just the person he was. And so over the past 20 years of getting to work here, I've gotten to work here for uh, about 18 years now. It's just been as good as I was hoping it was going to be. Um, the last 10 years, I've been serving as a campus pastor. So kind of doing the same, really the same job, but at three different churches and about six months ago, I would say the, the restlessness that I was feeling, um, it, it, it moved me to start having a conversation with my bosses about it. And so I, uh, Lane Jones is my direct boss. And then I met with he and Andy both a couple of times to just invite their advice, tell them a little bit how I'm feeling, ask them what they want me to do with it, what they think about what I'm wrestling with, just trying to decipher that feeling inside of me that was going, hey, I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm looking for more leadership, different leadership, uh, looking for some other ways to, to, to express what I feel like I've been put on earth to do. And after much prayer and deliberation, conversation, discussion, uh, both with, with my wife, but also with Andy and Lane, I um, told them I was going to resign. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, those aren't words you can just get back, you know? And they were wonderful about it. They were gracious about it. They were, um, they were so honoring of me in the whole process. Um, but it was, it was a scary conversation for me. Uh, for one, because my dad had told me, uh, this, uh, this is such great fatherly advice. Uh, my dad had told me months earlier, I was just telling him a little bit about what I was feeling. And he said, now Clay, I'll tell you this one thing. You know, you don't ever quit a job before you have a job. And I'm like, got it, dad. Doesn't that sound like something your dad would say, you know? I'll probably say the same thing to my kids someday, but I, 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 was, uh, I was just sure that the time had come, that the season to do something different had arrived, but I was grieving, I was sad, I was just, I mean, feeling all the, just all, you know, feeling like Drake, all up in my emotions, you know, all in my feelings about the whole thing. And uh, it came time for Jenny and I to tell our kids about it which that felt emotional. We love our church. We, we are so grateful for our church. As best as we can see, we hope to still be able to attend our church in the future. Um, but I decided I was gonna tell them. And so we're, we're riding somewhere. We're all in the van together. We, we do have five little kids. And yes, we do know how that happens. And uh, so I told them, I said, hey, um, I'm, I just wanted to tell y'all, uh, I'm gonna change jobs. And of course, four of the five were like, uh, are we gonna stay at the same school? I'm like, as far as we can tell, yes. Are we gonna move? As far as we can tell, no. Okay, so just that time of the day where we don't see what you do, you're gonna be doing something different? Okay, cool, dad, let us know if something changes, you know? And they're just like right back to what they were doing. But one child, and I, I won't name which one it was, but it's the one that I feel like has the most hope in this world. The rest of them, I have no idea. Their jury's out on them for sure. But this one, I'm like, she, she knows what she's doing. Like, has hardly needed any, any parenting. And she was kind of crying. And she was like, and, and her line, I mean, this like really gutted me. She said, but dad, you love your job. 
And I thought, gosh, she's so right. I do. I love my job. What am I doing? And then she said, you know, she asked questions about what I was going to do next. And I don't know what I'm going to do next. I haven't been looking around. I've been focused on what I'm doing. So I feel like this next season, to try to get some space to be able to figure out what that means, uh, it's pretty crucial for us. I, I, as far as I can tell, I mean, I've done some speaking in the past, and I think I'll still be able to do some of that. Hopefully, we'll be able to preach uh, even more. I would imagine I hopefully we'll do some more corporate kind of speaking. I've written some leadership books that has given me some opportunities to speak to companies, and hopefully, I'll do some of that, maybe continuing to write. But I don't exactly know. And she kind of kept crying a, a little bit about it and was trying to gather her emotions. And so I finally just asked her again. I say, hey, so tell, tell me more. Like, you, you still seem like this is really bothering you. And she said, well, it sounds like you've quit your job and it doesn't sound like you have another one. <laughs> and I was like, you are not wrong. That is actually very true. So I, I just know that feeling so well in this season of just change, of what, what's next, what's coming, that feeling where you know you, you are doing what you know to do up until this point, but you can't see what's on the other side. And as I thought about this today, I just thought, you know what, this is, this is, it is a great opportunity for me to just share about what God has been doing in my life. And I felt so, um, I felt so grateful that Andy gave me this opportunity to do this. But at the same time, I thought, well, all of you, You've been through stuff like this. I mean, no one hasn't. Everybody's been in a season of life where they knew what they needed to do up until this point and they couldn't see what was coming up past that. And I just thought, well, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe some of you are in a season where you've been feeling that restlessness that Maybe God is getting you ready for something else or maybe God is having you let go of something, maybe where you live or what you do or what you see for your future. And I titled the message, Keeping Your Soul Sane in Seasons of Change because I just know if there is an evil one, and I believe there is, I believe life is probably more like Star Wars than we like to think about sometimes, that there is a light side and there is a dark side Jesus spoke to, that there is, there is this side of life that we can't see, that there is an evil one, that, his plan for your life is to steal, to kill, and destroy. That if he was ever going to use something to try to take you down or take you out, it sure seems like that he would use seasons of change. So how do you keep your soul sane? I, I know the word sane is typically reserved for the mental side of life, our thoughts, our mind. But I feel like in this season for me, my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings have been all mixed up together. It's hard to differentiate one from the other. And so I really do hope for, wish for, want for sanity in my soul, that I would be of a right mind, that my soul would be of a right soul, able to not just sustain, but able to be able to even thrive in a season like this. And so where God has continued to bring me back to in this season is one of the most famous passages of scripture that we have. I'm typically on some kind of reading plan with some friends or people in my small group. And so over the past couple of months, I had been reading through Psalms. Uh, Psalms are such a great place to go when you're feeling a lot because David was all up in his emotions. And, and he's, very, he's very evocative. He, he's just, he tells God exactly how he feels. It's so helpful so often. And I got to Psalm 23 and I just couldn't get past it. I kept coming back to it. I mean, I've 
heard it, I've read it, I've had most of it memorized, but I had never really studied it. And God has used it so tremendously in my own life. And so I really just wanna spend the next few minutes doing um, kind of a version of a Bible study. I really just want us to walk through this Psalm together. And my hope is that God might use this in your life in the same way he's used it in mine. If you have a Bible, you can just turn to Psalm 23, or I really would love for you to read along with me. So if you have a device, if you have a tablet or some sort of smartphone, you can download the Bible app, or maybe you already have the Bible app downloaded, but it's just a really great way to be able to access the Bible. I'm gonna read it all together at once, and then we're gonna come back and um, look at each verse individually. Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the things that I've noticed about change is that change often makes you question yourself. Uh, worse, change will make you question your own identity. Change will make you wonder, who am I? One of the things that we have to do when we're in a season of change is we have to remind ourselves who we are. And the best way to remind ourselves who we are is to make sure we know everything we can know about who God is. Because our identity is best ascribed to us. It's best given to us. And the best person who's ever given us an identity is the one who created us, the one who made us. And so it makes sense that David would begin this psalm this way, that he would say, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is like a shepherd. Now, quick show of hands, how many of you have ever shepherded sheep in your past? Yeah, so no one here, right? This is what's always challenging is these metaphors, you know, it, it, it doesn't work for us. We're like, David, what else do you have? Like, we're not real familiar with shepherds in this part of the world in this day and age. But what do we know about shepherds? We know that shepherds are responsible for the sheep. Shepherds care for the sheep. Shepherds guide the sheep. They lead the sheep. They know better than the sheep. They know where we're headed. They, they, they lead with care. They lead with intentionality. They lead with compassion. They lead with strength. And David says, this is what God is like, but he's not just any shepherd. He's not just a shepherd. He's not just the shepherd. He is, he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who's leading me. He's the one who's guiding me. He's the one who's caring for me. I've got my eyes fixed on him because he knows exactly what I need. He knows exactly where we're headed. The sheep don't always know where they're headed, right? I mean, what's the main, the number one adjective we use to describe sheep? Anyone? 
Gentle, fluffy, small. Now someone said it. That's not the one. Dumb. I didn't say it. One of you said it. Yeah, the sheep are dumb. Some of you are like, well, that's offensive. Okay, well, it might be. You might be a real above average sheep, okay? You might be one of the smarter ones. You made the honor roll. You got the bumper sticker. You're gifted. You're better than the normal sheep. Okay, sure, fine. You can have that. But David says, we're like sheep and sheep do dumb things. Have you ever known a human to do something dumb? Yeah, it's a lot easier to spot in others than it is to spot in ourselves. But we all know how dumb people can be. People can do dumb things. And I think David's just trying to remind us, hey, you're more like a sheep than you might think. You can't see the future. You don't know exactly where you're headed. You're impulsive. You're quick to just get distracted by something. He doesn't say you're dumb, but he's like, but you need someone to guide you. You need someone to lead you. You need someone who knows the way. You need someone who has everything that you're gonna need for the journey, and that's the shepherd. And so he says, the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore, I lack nothing. There's nothing I lack. I have everything I need. King James Version, I shall not want. Which is hard for me because there's things that I want and there's things that I lack. In fact, I have a lot of lack. I'm doing pretty well in the lack department. Like when I look out at my own life, especially in this last season, I'm, I could name a number of things that I lack. And it's real easy for us to just look out in the world circumstantially at the things that we lack. You know, maybe it's a different job or a new job or more of a paycheck or a different paycheck or more peace or more freedom or more autonomy or a different set of relationships or whatever it may be. But what's worse is when we look internally and realize that there's stuff that I lack. This season has made me realize that I need more courage. I need more confidence. I need more clarity. And I've searched and searched and searched internally and just came up wanting so the idea that I shall not want, that I would lack nothing, has been a little disturbing. What it's made me realize, though, is that even though the sheep might feel like they lack something, as long as the shepherd has it, they don't actually lack it. You know what I'm saying? The sheep don't exactly know where they're going, but as long as the shepherd does, it's going to be okay. The sheep don't have, to have everything they need to face what they're gonna face that day, but as long as the shepherd's there with them, then they're gonna be okay. And so if that's you today, if you look internally and realize that there are things that you lack, I, I wanna introduce you to a shepherd who has everything you need. And if you don't have it right now, maybe it's because he doesn't think you need it right now. And if you feel like you need it right now and you don't have it right now, maybe it's because he's going to give it to you in just the right time. But the role of the sheep is just to fixate on the shepherd, to remind themselves, don't freak out because I don't have everything I need. I have the shepherd. 
And, and, and then David says, the shepherd causes us to do some, some things. He leads us to do some things. These are really interesting. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Why? Why does he have to make them lie down in green pastures? This has been a struggle for me in this season. Is I, I don't rest very well. Part of it is because I feel like if I don't make it happen, it's not gonna happen. The shepherd wants the sheep to know, hey, sometimes you just need to lay down in the green pastures and trust that the shepherd knows what he's doing. You need to rest. You need to relax. You need to chill out. Not being lazy, but trusting in the shepherd. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. What, what does this represent? This represents giving the sheep what they need to keep going. He, he, when, when they've gotten thirsty, he replenishes them. He does it in a way that's protective. He says, hey, this is an area where you can drink. You're free from harm. You're safe right here. Go ahead and be restored God does that for us. He replenishes us. He restores us spiritually and physically. And then verse three, he, he refreshes my soul. Isn't that good news that the shepherd does that? That the shepherd refreshes your soul? How, how does your soul feel today? Does your soul feel refreshed or does your soul feel tired, weary, in need? If, if it does, I'm so sorry. I think a lot of people know what that feels like. But I also would just want to point you to the shepherd who says, hey, you can't care for your soul alone. I wanna come alongside you and help refresh your soul. You know, people feel the state of your soul. If you're a parent, your kids can feel the state of your soul. If you're a spouse, your spouse can feel the state of your soul. Your friends can feel the state of your soul. If you're an employer, your, your employees can feel the state of your soul. Boston said you're more than a feeling. And you are more than a feeling, but a lot of times you're a feeling. People feel you. And what people feel is usually proportionate. It's usually a reflection to what's happening internally. And the shepherd says, hey, I wanna come alongside of you and help refresh that really important part of your life, your soul. And then he, he, he guides me along the right paths. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. He does it with a purpose. He does it for a reason. This is remarkable that God does this. I, I don't know where you are on the spectrum of, you know, does God know everything that's happened in your life? I believe he does. Does God put decisions in front of you and say, you gotta go right, not left? I, I think in some, some cases he does. And in some cases he gives us the freedom to choose particularly in areas where he hasn't made it clear that anything's 
morally wrong. He says, you choose. Where do you want to work? You choose. Where do you want to go to college? You choose. Who do you want to marry? You choose. Who do you want to date? You choose. This is you. You get to choose. But at the same time, he guides us like this internal GPS system. I feel like everywhere I'm going these days, I'm putting in an address. Because I want to know, is there traffic there? Is there a road closure? Is there something happening over here? I, I want to know. And God is like that. He guides us. He does it through his Holy Spirit. It's hard to talk about the Holy Spirit because people get weirded out by it. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's the ghost part that's really weird. You know, that is a bit odd. But Jesus, I don't know if you remember this part of his life where he had been crucified and then he had resurrected from the dead and people were all in. They hadn't been all in. They thought they were. And then he was put on a cross and they were like, ah, I don't know. And then he resurrected from the dead and everybody was like, this is my guy. I'm going wherever this guy goes. I am his ride or die. I'm with him the whole way. And then Jesus starts saying things like, hey, I'm about to leave. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't leave. I mean, like, imagine what we could do with your power. Imagine what we could do with your influence. Like, we're about to take over. And he's like, no, no, I'm leaving, but it's better for you for me to leave. Why? Because I am sending someone, someone who's going to be in you. I'm sending you the spirit of God and he will guide you. He'll guide you. He guides me along his paths for his namesake. He does it not so I get the glory, not so that I have a better life, not so that I'm more successful. No, he does it so that he can be seen as great. He does it for his namesake. And then verse four, this is one of the more famous lines. Some of you, you you're like, oh yeah, I, I've heard this part. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Some of you were like, oh, David got this from Coolio. Gangsta's paradise, dangerous minds. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left because I've been blasting and laughing for so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. Y'all remember that from dangerous minds? Yeah, I don't know why. I've said some really important things, but you clap at Coolio, so whatevs, you know? Uh, obviously, um, obviously, Coolio did not make that up. David did not get that from Coolio. Um, some of you were like, who is Coolio? Is that, um, Coolio grabbed that line from David. That's the, the King James version, right? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What's a, what's a valley? A valley is that, that area that's in between a mountain. You've got this beautiful mountain over here, this beautiful mountain over here, and you're down in the valley. Nobody likes to be in the valley. Everybody wants to be on the mountain. We celebrate the mountains. We name the mountains. We go visit the mountains. We try to get to the top of the mountains. I mean, even we're in the season where we have all these Olympic podiums that we're all staring at. Even those podiums, have you ever noticed they're shaped like mountains? And where do we want to be? We want to be on the top of the mountain. Why? Well, because that's where, that's where the goodness of God is. That's where we feel God's presence. You know, you look at those podiums. Have you ever thought this, that there's three people up on those podiums and two of them are so excited and one of them is not feeling it. Have you ever noticed this? 
You got the person with the bronze and they're like, I barely slid in and I am so happy I am here. I mean, like I was barely third. I mean, I could have been fourth. I mean, as I'm fourth, I get nothing, but I'm third and I get a medal that looks eerily similar to the one that the first place got. I'm feeling really good about this. I mean, like if nobody, you know, if they say like, oh, congrats on your gold, I'm gonna be like, eh, it's no big deal. You know, I mean, I've been hustling, you know, so God is good, you know, whatever. And then the person that's in first place is like, I mean, this is what I've been working for. I mean, this is, I mean, God is so good. I mean, I just wanna give all the glory to God. I mean, he's just done great things clearly. And I mean, it's just today is like a great, one of the greatest days of my life. And then they can hardly breathe. And they've been putting them like in front of their families at that point on the video that looks like you or I just set up a Zoom camera or something. I'm like, what is going on with this? And they're like, hey, how do you feel? And they're like, um, I just swam like 700 laps and I can hardly talk right now but I just want to tell my parents I love you and this is awesome, you know? So the, the gold, obviously, is where everybody wants to be, the top of the mountain, but that silver is just like, I can't, I can't believe it. I mean, my whole life, people have told me second is for losers. And I'm like a tenth of a second away from being first, but instead, I'm second, you know? And you can do all the things. It's like, well, it's a gold in my heart. It's like, no, it's a silver, you know? Like, we all get it, we know it, sorry. You know, what happened? You know, did it just not go well? Did you have a bad turn, you know? Did you just like, they said go and you just like froze for like a split second and then you're like, oh, silver second, the rest of your life. You know, everybody's like, gosh, I'm so sorry, you know? Because we wanna get to the top of the mountain. We love the mountains. Nobody wants to be in the valley, but we all know this, there will be valleys in life. And maybe you're in a valley. And the problem is when we're in the valley, we start questioning everything. Worst of all, we start wondering, where is God? What is he up to? Has he forgotten about me? Has he decided he's not gonna intervene and help? And I feel like I've been in this valley for way too long and I'm tired of it. And here's the problem that, here's the problem that I face so often is I get sick of being in the valley and so I get those mixed up where I end up walking through the green pasture and laying down in the valley. But that's not the way we're supposed to do it. We're supposed to lay down in the green pasture and walk through the valley. Sometimes walking feels slow, but walking is movement. And if you're in a valley, I just wanna encourage you with a few things. Number one, you have to walk through the valley. There's no other way. And you can't see what's on the other side, but it doesn't mean that God is distant or absent or not there. No, you just keep walking. You keep moving. You put one foot in front of the other. You do the next right thing. And then two, you you gotta remind yourself over and over again that God is with me in the valley. I will fear no evil for you are with me. And too often we get, fixated on the size of the shadow, that there's this huge shadow of all the things we fear, of all the what ifs and the what happens if it doesn't, and oh no, and the what, what, all the things that we could think about in the future that may go wrong. And David's reminding us, hey, don't fixate on the shadow, fix your eyes on the shepherd. When you're in the valley, it's gonna be real tempting to wanna lock in on the shadow but no, you just decide, I'm gonna keep walking and I'm gonna lock in on, on the shepherd. I will fear no evil, 
for you are with me. You know, we see that idea throughout so many different places in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I was thinking about this time in the life of Jesus' closest followers where they're on this boat and they start getting spooked because they thought they saw a ghost. They look out on the water and they're like, uh, is it just me or is that a person walking on the water? And they all start murmuring and wondering and they start shaking and going, oh no, is this like a, a ghost pirate coming to rob us? Like, is this somebody like, is this dangerous? Are we in danger? There is a, what looks like a human figure walking across the water. And Jesus just casually calls out to them and says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. Take courage. I'm sure they were like, what? Are you serious? What does he do? This is crazy. And Peter, the crazy one, you know, that like high school friend that was always like, hey, what if? And you're like, oh boy. <laughs> That's Peter, you know? And Peter's like, Jesus. He's like, yes, Peter. Uh, I'd kind of like to do that. And he's like, well, come on out. And Peter does the unthinkable, but he steps out of the boat where everything was comfortable. He knew what to, he knew, he could predict everything. He knew how things were gonna go. And he steps out onto the water and Jesus says, just come to me, Peter. And Peter starts taking steps, walking on the water. And sure, he had a moment where he took his eyes off of Jesus and so he started to sink. But how thrilling that for the rest of his life, he could say, y'all remember that time that Jesus walked on the water? Well, I got to walk on the water too because he called me out. Because I believed him that as long as he's with me, that there is no evil that can touch me. Yeah, maybe it gets me in this life, but it won't get me in the next life because he's with me. And then David says, and the way we experience that is through his rod and his staff. He says, your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod, the rod represents that part of the, the, the instrument for the shepherd would have to beat off things that were coming to attack the sheep represents God's power, that God is all powerful, that there's nothing he can't do. And his staff represents the, his graciousness to get us back on course when we, when we take the bait, when we take the wrong step, when we miss his cue, when we make a mistake, when we do it for the wrong reasons, when we mess it up, when we blow it. His staff, this is grace. And his power and his grace, they comfort us to be able to try, to be able to risk, to be able to step out of the boat. Go, come on, you can do it. I mean, you can't do it and you might fail, but whether you fail or whether you succeed, it doesn't matter. It's all about following and trusting the shepherd. And then he says, and, and then you do this thing that is, seems like it's almost like you're talking trash, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David had actual enemies. I mean, he had the people that he was dueling with, that he was running from, that he was in pursuit of, that he was afraid of. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff going on in his life. But in our case, enemy, the enemy could be anything. It could be the shame of your past. It could be the fear of the future. It could be the loneliness that you experience because maybe you feel alone. It could be that feeling of inadequacy, of I don't measure up, I don't have what it takes. Whatever your enemy is, just know that God is so powerful and you are 
so his that he prepares this beautiful banquet table, this this amazing five-star meal. And he does it in the presence of the shame, in the presence of the loneliness, in the presence of the inadequacy to just let the enemy know this one's mine. This one's with me. You might be taunting, you might be tempting, but I'm just letting the enemy know that I got you. I got you, you're mine. You anoint my head with oil. Evidently the sheep would get caught up in something that would cut its head. And the oil would be something that the shepherd would do to comfort the sheep. We're gonna make mistakes, of course. But even still, the shepherd comforts his people. My cup overflows. It might look empty. It might look like it's over. But he reminds him, if you have the shepherd, you have everything. You have all you need and more. And then he ends with this line that is such a beautiful line. He says, surely, surely. I love that word, surely. Not like hopefully, not maybe, not uh, we'll see. No, he says, surely, definitively, surely. These two sheep dogs are gonna continue to follow the rest of life. I read a commentator who talked about goodness and love being these sheepdogs, these, these packs of, these flocks of, what, what do we call sheep? I don't know, gaggle, what's the right term? Whatever, all the sheep together, this crew of sheep, these sheepdogs would be running around fending off the enemy and also making sure all the sheep are still together. They follow us everywhere we go. David says, surely your goodness your love will follow me all the days of my life. Surely your goodness, no matter what, even when I mess it up, that your goodness and your love is never gonna lose sight of me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'll get to be with you forever. It speaks to this communion that we can have with God, that we are always with him, that he is always with us, that we are always his the question today for me and you, the question is, not, not, I don't think the question is, is God real? I think the question is, is God your shepherd? Is he your shepherd? Have you called on him as your shepherd? The winds have changed. Maybe they're blowing in your life. Maybe not. Maybe it's still and peaceful and calm. But maybe you're in a season where you need to know that he's there, that you need to know that he's leading you, that he's guiding you. Will you, will you call on him as your shepherd? I don't know how we would have done this last season without looking to him as the shepherd. I don't know how we'll do the next season. As far as we can tell, uh, we'll still go to our church. We love our church. We think what our church is doing is the most important thing in the world but I'm gonna take a different seat on the bus. But either way, no matter where you're sitting on the bus, we all need a shepherd who's leading us and guiding us, who says, come on, follow me. I had a friend tell me this story a little while ago that's been something that's been really helpful for me. Maybe it would help you as well, but there was a guy that, he was a very educated, smart person who went and decided to go work with Mother Teresa for a couple, of, a couple of months. And toward the end of his stint, he got a 
opportunity to have a personal conversation with Mother Teresa where she had the opportunity to say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? How cool is that to get to ask Mother Teresa to pray for you? And so he says that I asked her, I said, well, there's some big decisions that I have coming and I, I could really use some clarity. She looks at him and she says, well, I'll be happy to pray for that for you, but I've found that God doesn't typically give me clarity. In fact, I've really never had clarity. But what God does is he gives me opportunities to trust. And I'm gonna pray that this will be an opportunity for you to trust, even when you don't have clarity. If you're in a season where you need clarity, you need to know what's on the other side, I hope God will tell you. I hope he'll give it to you. He hasn't done that for me. But what he has done is he's given us a great opportunity to trust. And he's given you that as well. To trust him as the good shepherd. To maybe even call on him as my shepherd. And so I just wanna invite you to do that today. I'm gonna pray for us. I'd love for you to just bow your head and close your eyes. And maybe as we're praying, maybe, maybe you just wanna recite this psalm as a prayer to God, that the Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and he refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though, even still, I'm gonna walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely, goodness, surely love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, that is our prayer. That you would keep our soul sane in seasons of change, that you would give us the grace to be able to trust you even when we can't see what's on the other side. The great paradox of God is that you can lead us individually and you can still lead us corporately. That you would continue to grow your church and build your church for your namesake. But God, that you would lead us personally God, we pray that you would show us the path. But when you don't, I pray that we'll have the courage to trust, the ability to be able to fix our eyes on you, no matter how big the shadow is, that we'd be able to trust the shepherd. That even when we're in the valley, that we'd remember that you are with us. And that means everything. Thank you for Jesus who gives us all the reason to trust. You defeated death. You ensured heaven for us, both in the next life and on this earth. And I pray that we would look to you with everything we have, even when it doesn't seem clear. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.